What's up, everybody? Welcome back. This is episode 27. Uh, we're going to talk about active communication today, finally. I know I've been saying for a while now uh, that I was going to get this episode out, but uh, just something I want to kind of communicate through this podcast in, in particular uh, is that I really love this project. I wish I had uh, a ton more time to devote to it. Initially, I wanted to try to do it weekly, and then that kind of fell off, and then I deployed, and then I'm back, and it's like there's a lot going on, and, and one of the things I want to make clear is I'm not not putting content out because I don't want to. Uh, I'm not doing it because uh, I just have a lot of other things going on in my life, and I can tell you that this project will never take priority over me doing what I need to do at work, uh, right? As, as a leader at work actually applying the things I talk about, I will never be able to do this in lieu of that, right? I, ha I have to put that first, uh, and then I have to put my family first. So there are going to be times, and I've kind of just accepted that there are going to be times where I can't do this as often as I want to. There's going to be times where there's content gaps, uh, and that's just a fact of life. But there will be a time uh, eventually when I get to shore duty and then I retire where I have a ton more time to devote to this project uh, and can take it in a lot of other directions and do a lot of the things that I want to do that I haven't been able to yet. Uh, so that's all coming. Unfortunately, I just can't do it yet, but uh, I just wanted to let everybody know that. Uh, and first, I want to jump into the history segment. And I was kind of surprised I hadn't done this yet. Uh, I know I mentioned previously when I did uh, Michael Monsoor that I, I was surprised I hadn't hit any of the uh, heroes from SEAL teams, but this was one that um, I hear about once a year. I, I do CrossFit, uh, I, a little out of it now, but I, I did it for a long time and it was like the most famous workout that you do in CrossFit. It's called Murph, right? And I'm sure you've seen it in from some form or another on social media that time of year when people do it, um, but it's, Something that uh, I've kind of always known about. I mean, I've seen the movies and, I, and I've read about it. I read uh, Lone Survivor. Uh, it was um, Marcus Luttrell's book about Operation Red Wing and what happened that day. Um, but I'm going to tackle this from the perspective of uh, Lieutenant Michael Murphy. Uh, and so first I'm going to read an article about what happened uh, and about Michael Murphy, and then I'm going to read his Medal of Honor citation. So for actions during Operation Red Wings on June 28, 2005... On June 28, 2005, deep behind enemy lines east of Asad, I'm going to massacre this, Asadabad in the Hindu Kush of Afghanistan, a very committed four-man Navy SEAL team was conducting a reconnaissance mission at the unforgiving altitude of approximately 10,000 feet. The SEALs, Lieutenant Michael Murphy, Gunner's Mate 2nd Class Danny Dietz, Sonar Technician 2nd Class Matthew Axelson, and Hospital Corpsman 2nd Class Marcus Luttrell had a vital task. The four SEALs were scouting Ahmad Shah, a terrorist in his mid-30s who grew up in the adjacent mountains just to the south. Under the assumed name Mohammed Ismail, Shah led a guerrilla group known to the locals as the Mountain Tigers that had aligned with the Taliban and other militant groups close to the Pakistani border. The SEAL mission was compromised when the team was spotted by local nationals who presumably reported its presence and location to the Taliban. A fierce fight erupted between the four SEALs and a much larger enemy force of more than 50 anti-coalition militia. The enemy had the SEALs outnumbered. They also had terrain advantage. They launched a well-organized three-sided attack on the SEALs. The firefight continued relentlessly as the overwhelming militia forced the team deeper into a ravine. Trying to reach safety, the four men, now each wounded, began bounding down the mountain's steep sides, making leaps of 20 to 30 feet. Approximately 45 minutes into the fight, pinned down by overwhelming force forces, Dietz, the communications petty officer, sought open air to place a distress call back to base. 
But before he could, he was shot in the hand, the blast shattering his thumb. Despite the intensity of the firefight and suffering grave gunshot wounds himself, Murphy is credited with risking his own life to save the lives of his teammates. Murphy, intent on making contact with headquarters but realizing this would be impossible in the extreme terrain where they were fighting, unhesitatingly and with complete disregard for his own life, moved into, op into the open where he could gain a better position to transmit a call and get help for his men. Moving away from the protective mountain rocks, he knowingly exposed himself to increased enemy gunfire. This deliberate and heroic act deprived him of cover and made him a target for the enemy. While continuing to be fired upon, Murphy made contact with SOF Quick Reaction Force at Bagram Air Base and requested assistance. He calmly provided his unit's location and the size of the enemy force while requesting immediate support for his team. At one point, he was shot in the back, causing him to drop the transmitter. Murphy picked it back up, completed the call, and continued firing at the enemy, who was closing in. Severely wounded, Lieutenant Murphy returned to his cover position with his men and continued the battle. An MH-47 Chinook helicopter with eight additional SEALs and eight Army Night Stalkers aboard was sent in as part of an extraction mission to pull out the four embattled SEALs. The MH-47 was escorted by heavily armored Army attack helicopters. Entering a hot combat zone, attack helicopters are used initially to neutralize the enemy and make it safer for the lightly armored personnel transport helicopter to insert. The heavy weight of the attack helicopter slowed the formation's advance, prompting the MH-47 to outrun their armored escort. They knew the tremendous risk going into an active enemy area in daylight without their attack support and without the cover of night. Risk would, of course, be minimized if they put the helicopter down in a safe zone, but knowing that their warrior brothers were shot, surrounded, and severely wounded, the rescue team opted to directly enter the oncoming battle in hopes of landing on brutally hazardous terrain. As the Chinook raced to the battle, a rocket-propelled grenade struck the helicopter, killing all 16 men aboard. On the ground and nearly out of ammunition, the four SEALs, Murphy, Luttrell, Dietz, and Axelson, continued to fight. By the end of the two-hour gunfight that careened through the hills and over cliffs, Murphy, Axelson, and Dietz had all been killed. An estimated 35 Taliban were also dead. The fourth SEAL, Luttrell, was blasted over a ridge by a rocket-propelled grenade and was knocked unconscious. Regaining consciousness sometime later, Luttrell managed to escape, badly injured, and slowly crawl away down the side of a cliff. Dehydrated with a bullet wound in one leg, shrapnel embedded in both legs, three vertebrae cracked, the situation for Luttrell was grim. Rescue helicopters were sent in, but he was too weak and injured to make contact. Traveling seven miles on foot, he evaded the enemy for nearly a day. Gratefully, local nationals came to his aid, carrying him to a nearby village where they kept him for three days. The Taliban came to the village several times, demanding that Luttrell be turned over to them. The villagers refused. One of the villagers made his way to a marine outpost with a note from Luttrell, and U.S. forces launched a massive operation that rescued him from enemy territory on July 2nd. By his undaunted courage, intrepid fighting spirit, and inspirational devotion to his men in the face of certain death, Lieutenant Murphy was able to relay the position of his unit, an act that ultimately led to the rescue of Luttrell and the recovery of the remains of the three who were killed in the battle. This was the worst single-day U.S. forces death toll since Operation Enduring Freedom began nearly six years ago. It was the single largest loss of life for naval special warfare since World War II. The naval special warfare community will forever remember June 28, 2005 and the heroic efforts and sacrifices of our special operators. We hold with reverence the ultimate sacrifice that they made while engaged in that fierce firefight on the front lines of the global war on terrorism. Now I'm going to read his Medal of Honor citation. 
for conspicuous gallantry and intrepidity at the risk of his life above and beyond the call of duty as a leader of a special reconnaissance element with Naval Special Warfare Task Unit Afghanistan on 27 and 28 June 2005, while leading a mission to locate a high-level anti-coalition militia leader, Lieutenant Murphy demonstrated extraordinary heroism in the face of grave danger in the vicinity of Asadabad, Konar Province, Afghanistan. On 28 June 2005, operating in an extremely rugged enemy-controlled area, Lieutenant Murphy's team was discovered by anti-coalition militia th- sympathizers who revealed their position to Taliban fighters. As a result, between 30 and 40 enemy fighters besieged the four-member team. Demonstrating exceptional resolve, Lieutenant Murphy valiantly led his men in engaging the large enemy force. The ensuing fierce firefight resulted in numerous enemy casualties, as well as the wounding of all four members of the team. Ignoring his own wounds and demonstrating exceptional composure, Lieutenant Murphy continued to lead and encourage his men. When the primary communicator fell mortally wounded, Lieutenant Murphy repeatedly attempted to call for assistance for his beleaguered teammates. Realizing the impossibility of communicating in the extreme terrain, and in the face of almost certain death, he fought his way into an open terrain to gain a better position to transmit a call. This deliberate, heroic act deprived him of cover, exposing him to direct enemy fire. Finally achieving contact with his headquarters, Lieutenant Murphy maintained his exposed position while he provided his location and requested immediate support for his team. In his final act of bravery, he continued to engage the enemy until he was mortally wounded, gallantly giving his life for his country and for the cause of freedom. By his selfish leadership, courageous actions, and extraordinary devotion to duty, Lieutenant Murphy reflected great credit upon himself and upheld the highest traditions of the United States Naval Service. Uh, I'm also going to read Operation Red Wings KIAs. Um, it's, it's a long list. It encompasses not just uh, the SEALs that we lost, but also the other operators that were on the Quick Reaction Force uh, and in those helicopters that I talked about. So on June 2, 28, 2005, three of four SEALs on the ground, Murphy, Dietz, and Axelson, were killed during combat operations in support of Operation Red Wing. On the same day, a QRF of eight Navy SEALs, eight Army Night Stalkers, were also killed when the MH-47 helicopter they were aboard was shot down by enemy fire in the vicinity of Asadabad, Afghanistan, in Kumar province. So the Navy SEALs from SEAL Delivery Vehicle Team 1, Pearl Harbor, Hawaii. Lieutenant Michael P. Murphy, Sonar Technician 2nd Class Matthew Axelson, Machinist Mate 2nd Class Eric Patton, Senior Chief Information Systems Technician Daniel Healy, Quartermaster 2nd Class James Sue, SEAL Delivery Vehicle 2, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Gunner's Mate 2nd Class Danny Dietz, SEAL Team 10, Virginia Beach, Virginia, Chief Fire Controlman Jacques Fontan, Lieutenant Commander Eric Christensen, Electronics Technician 1st Class Jeffrey Lucas, Lieutenant Michael M. McGreevy, Hospital Corpsman 1st Class Jeffrey Taylor, Army Night Stalkers, 3rd Battalion, 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment Airborne, Hunter Army Airfield, Georgia, Staff Sergeant Seamus Gore, Chief Warrant Officer Corey Goodnature, Sergeant Kip Jacoby, Sergeant First Class Marcus Morales, Major Stephen Reich, Sergeant First Class Michael Russell, Chief Warrant Officer Chris Schirkenbach, and from Headquarters Company, 160th Special Operations Aviation Regiment Airborne, Fort Campbell, Kentucky, Master Sergeant James Ponder.
So that uh, that history segment was one that I don't know. I thought I thought it was really cool. It's I feel like um, we've been over it over and over again, not studying it so much as just being exposed to it, um, reminded of it every year on social media through the through the movie. Uh, the book I read. Like I said before, so now we're going to move on. We're going to talk about active communication. And I'm really uh, surprised. Uh, As I mentioned previously, when I said I was going to do this topic, that I was able to get away with not doing this topic for as long as I have. Definitely, Because it's really, really important. Uh, It's something I've been talking about recently at uh, some of the leadership development stuff that I've done. Uh, some of the training that we've done and it was kind of like jokingly and flippantly put out there as like uh, we were listing five problems that we had within our own chief's mess and uh, the guy leading the training the command master chief leading it was like you can all just list communication right now right because it's a problem that everyone has Uh, it's a problem that uh, we don't always fully understand so we can't always uh, remedy the way we need to and that's why I want to talk about it because I feel like something that it's almost kind of not taboo but it's something we we purposely kind of shy away from uh, attacking um, and we shouldn't because everyone sucks at communication everyone does <laughs> like I do uh, communication is the root of all leadership problems it, it's always either part of the problem or more commonly the main reason you're having a problem and junior sailors should understand what active communication is and the different ways it affects the relationships with leaders and followers in order to leverage this tremendous leadership tool um, and it's probably the single most important skill in effective leadership, and it's a skill. Uh, I, I can't even begin to properly express its importance, but also the ridiculous amount of time that I have spent working on this skill and that you should spend working on it, which is what I'll try to convince you of before I'm done. Uh, and I still suck at it. I have literally sat through meetings that were only happening due to poor communication. Uh, hours lost, just tons of man hours lost. You take your eye off the mission and what you should be spending that time on and you lose that time and you fumble the goals. You neglect your development and that of your subordinates because you're spending time trying to fix this problem. Uh, It can stunt organizational growth and it's an extremely gray layered concept uh, that you will never fully master but should always just be consistently pursuing that and consistently improving. You're never going to arrive and be there, right? You're never done, uh, but you should always, always be working on this. Um, real quick, before I continue, I just want to remind everybody, if you need to get a hold of us or, or want to reach out or have questions, you can email us at don'tgiveuptheshippodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can DM us on Instagram, which seems to be a popular one lately, uh, or you can Facebook message us uh, at Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. Uh, hit us up through whatever medium you're most comfortable with, and we'll get back to you as soon as we possibly can. Um, and so let's define it as I like to do. So what is active communication? And, and first, so I, I use the word active uh, partially because it's common terminology. You hear people say uh, active, active communication a lot instead of just communication. But also active implies action, right? You should be engaged, taking action to ensure your communication is effective and that you're always getting better at it. Uh, and, and so my definition that I looked up, because uh, I like definitions, I like to know what it literally means to make sure that I haven't been misinterpreting it the whole time, uh, is a process for <clears throat> a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system of symbols, signs, or behavior. Uh, it's simply put, the transfer of information from one place to another, right? It gets complicated because really it's from one person to another person, and people are complicated. And we're gonna talk about some of that complication as we get into this. Uh, so what's the process of communication, all right? The basic process of communication starts with a sender and a receiver. So you, as the sender, presumably, 
decide where you want your message to go, right? So to the receiver. So you're the sender, you want your message to go to the receiver. Seems pretty simple, right? So the receiver can be an individual or a group, or both really, because groups are comprised of individuals. So once you decide where you want to send it, you need to decide how to send it. That's your medium. A medium can be many different things. It's just the method for by which you're transmitting this uh, this message. So it can be email, phone, text, paper flyers that you hang up, an announcement that you make at quarters or something, a meeting, um, a one-on-one communication, like a, a personal conversation. It can be many, many different things. Uh, but it's a very important choice which one you're going to use. And I'm going to elaborate on that later, right? Uh, once you choose your medium, you send your message. Uh, when you, as an individual, send your message, you're doing what's called encoding, which means the receiver gets it, but they have to decode that message in order to receive it. And you can imagine the types of issues that can happen there. Uh, it's why we have so many communication problems, because you think you're saying one thing, somebody else hears something completely different. So there's a lot of issues there, in addition to the barriers thrown up to your message even being received so that hopefully it can be successfully decoded, right? So. This just adds up to one big hot mess. But I'm gonna elaborate on some of the little parts of the process so that we fully understand those. First one being the sender. The sender is you, it's always you. Uh, The fun part is you're always sending, which is something lost on a lot of people. Uh, It's simple to understand that when you choose to send a message, that you are in fact a sender, that you're sending that message, right? However, the very definition of leading by example is that you are always sending. They are always watching you, which means whether you like it or not, your appearance, attitude, tone, words, and overall behavior means you're always sending a message. It's incredibly important that you are aware of this message and that you are constantly crafting it because in addition, you and them and all of us are always receiving. We're always watching those around us, peers, subordinates, leadership, everything, always. Always sending and always receiving. So now the mediums. I mentioned some earlier, but there are a limitless number of mediums in which you can craft and send a message. Uh, It's very important that you first think of what you're trying to accomplish, right? Identify what the message is that you're trying to send and how you can best get it across. Who's your audience? And what medium do they best receive? That's gonna be big in you deciding which one to pick, right? And then understand how your medium will affect your message. Because it's gonna, your message gets filtered through that medium. It factors into your encoding and then their subsequent decoding. So understanding that ahead of it, you will increase your chance of effectively getting your message across. Understanding how that medium will affect your message. Some things are better communicated in person than they are through email or text. I think we've all probably experienced something to that effect. So choose your medium very carefully. Encoding. All right, I've mentioned it a bunch of times, so what the heck is encoding? It's you, it's, it's your context, your background, your accent if you have one, and even Americans have an accent. Go overseas and they'll tell you all about it, right? Your chosen words, tone, and body language. It all figures in. It's how you choose to frame your message and the medium in which you decide to communicate it. Your medium will encode a message for that medium and not all mediums. So picking the medium, like I said previously, figures into the encoding. And when you encode it that way, it's not always going to get across the same way in other mediums. Encoding gets further complicated because of the layers. There are layers. There's a lot of layers. What your words literally translate to, one layer. What you imply with your tone, purposeful or not, what you add in with facial expressions, body language, etc. The read between the lines stuff, that's what I'm talking about. We do that. Whether you know you're doing it or not, 
We do that, sometimes on purpose, sometimes accidentally, but we're doing it all the time. Be aware of it and use it to your advantage. Denying it simply means your message gets decoded incorrectly and not received. So the more accepting you are of these concepts and the more you try to drill down and understand them, the higher and higher the likelihood becomes of your message getting transmitted the way you want it to, getting received, encoded, decoded, etc., all correctly so that the message gets across. So it might already feel like there's barriers, right? I've already poked at some of them, but there's so many barriers to, to effective communication. It's probably the most complex piece. Uh, there are so many barriers to effective communication and every previously mentioned step of it, of this communication process is one of them if you're using it improperly. If that's not bad enough, there are many others that you need to be aware of. So understand the process up to this point if you are improperly using it, like selecting the wrong medium, that becomes a barrier to your receiver receiving your message. But also, there are completely external barriers. And I'm gonna talk about a lot of those, but I'm going to lump those common barriers together into just knowing your audience. If you know your audience or you know your people, which you hear a lot in the Navy as naval leaders, know your people, you'll instinctively address a lot of these barriers and successfully navigate them. But you have to know them really well. You have to take the time to do that. Uh, we've talked about this previously, but you, you can't frame your message the way that you like it, that you best receive it, because who cares what you like? If you're trying to inspire a group to follow you, you need to speak to them on their wavelength. You need to speak their language. So what do they care about? What do they want most? Do you have any language barriers in your group? like English as a second language? Because English, with all its slang and ridiculous metaphors and alternate meanings, can be incredibly confusing to someone that's just learning it. Make sure they understand, even if it takes you spending a little extra time after ensuring they got the message, taking the time to, to help decipher it and decode it. Understand your borders. You get into the murky waters of politics, religion, ideology, right? It has no place in the workplace. And it's going to complicate your ability to communicate because someone is going to instantly shut down if you attack their belief system or the ideology. Just don't go there, even jokingly, because a lot of times you won't feel like you're doing it. You won't even realize you're doing it, but that receiver will completely shut down on you. Uh, cursing is another one. I struggled a lot with this. I've talked about that before uh, when I was an instructor, and, and I still do. Like I let them fly. It's just how I grew up. Uh, I was around it a lot, and if I wasn't in the position I am, I wouldn't really care. Like if I wasn't in a, a naval leader, I wouldn't, I, it wouldn't really bother me. Uh, I'm fine with it, but not everyone is. And understanding that, I stop doing it. I work around it because I don't want to create barriers. That's why I don't curse on this podcast. I want to achieve the furthest reach possible. I want this message to be universal and help as many young sailors and leaders that it's capable of doing. But if I were just letting F-words, like if I was just dropping the F-bomb every five seconds, so, for someone listening, that would be a barrier for them. So I'm not gonna insert that barrier. Uh, some other barriers can just be really obvious things like loud noise, uh, distracting images or props, using your cell phone, uh, poor body language, eye contact. Like there's there's so many uh, that you need to make sure and there's a lot of, of easy ones to address ahead of time to, to recognize and, and make sure you mitigate them far, far ahead of the communication actually happening. Uh, and then there's some that you need to work on every day every single time you communicate and you'll you'll never completely eliminate, but you can take it down to a very low level uh, to increase the efficiency of your communication. The last one, uh, to, the way you get around these obstacles is feedback. And I, and I talk about this uh, in a bunch of topics, but I'm a big fan of feedback. Uh, it's how you get better. And, and after doing the research and understanding barriers and how they can hinder effective communications, 
you then solicit and accept all of the feedback. Get as much of this as you possibly can from your audience and your critics. Like, just ask people. I love asking my junior guys to criticize me. Like, try it out. Just try. Get some some junior sailors in there and ask them what you're doing wrong. Ask them if this thing you're doing works well. It's really it's really eye opening. Um, not everyone will just lace you with the hard truths, but some will give you a little nugget that'll just like melt your brain. Like it'll alter your perception of yourself. Ask your superiors, cause they're not scared. I ask other chiefs and my cob and department head and CO all the time. People whose opinion I, I value, and it's not always fun, right? Sometimes your pride's gonna take a hit, but who cares? Like who cares? You come out better. Uh, you come out better than you were, and that stuff is leadership development gold. Getting that mirror thrown up in front of you, and as long as you're open to it, just having that criticism thrown your way so that you can take it on board uh, and address some of your weak areas. It's it's huge. Um, and, and another one that I mentioned previously is, is video. Like, I got this from being an instructor, but video yourself speaking. Record yourself speaking with a video implement, and most of us have one in our pocket. Even if you do it in the comfort of your own home, alone, in a very... It, like low-key environment, do it with sweatpants on, no one's in the house, whatever, video yourself delivering some kind of a message, even if it's just like a morning quarters type of thing. You will catch mannerisms, uh, the little unconscious filler words like, um, uh, any, I mean, a lot of people say a lot of different ones, like, you know, is one of mine. And the ridiculous like ticks and poor body language and maybe you're not making eye contact and you're fidgeting and you're walking around too much. Like there are a ton that you can filter out by just videoing yourself and then and watching it back. Uh, and the vast majority of these things you don't even know you're doing. You probably feel like you're up there crushing it and you're delivering whatever message you have very clearly and concisely. But you're probably not if you've never seen yourself in this in this way uh and and if you've never worked on it like very few of us are just born communicators very very few uh and even them you know they're not the best at it because they're not working on it at it you can fix so much accidental accidental miscoding of your message by understanding the unspoken communications that are making it through right they're a huge part of what is heard or decoded right on the receiver side of the communications even though you might not have said something there are those unconscious ticks and the body language and the unspokens that are a huge part of how your message is communicated and decoded by the receiver. So why is communication so important? It's how human relationships form. It's how we inspire a group of people to do a thing. It's how we translate ideas and share stories. It's how we learn. It's the most important leadership principle there is. And it's a skill, like I mentioned earlier. Some have a, have a natural flair for it. Some of us are natural communicators, but you still need to work at it. There are great ones and they're always the hardest workers. When you understand that this skill is as critical to your success as it is, work on it. Once this switch flips in your head, how important communication is and how it just permeates everything we do, work on it. And not just your success, but your team's success. None of it works without strong communication, up and down the chain of command and within your team. And I don't care how good you think you are at this. Work on it. Because I promise you, there is someone in your organization that thinks you suck at it. Guaranteed. So continue consistently working on this because it affects everything. All right, it's summary time. We talked about what communication is, the process of communication and the barriers to it. 
and then why you should care about effective leadership communication. And it's super important for junior sailors to understand what active communication is and all the just, I mean, infinite ways that it affects their relationships with leaders and followers so that they can use this to better themselves, better their teams, and better their organization, right? So active communication is listed on every command climate survey ever. Like seriously, every single one, and I've seen a lot of them. I've been involved in a lot of them. Every one, the biggest theme is poor communication. Even at commands that think they do it well, it's still always an issue. It's an every level issue of every team in every organization ever. It's not just at the highest levels. It's not just at the lowest levels. It's not just at the mid levels. It's everywhere. Because a sailor will always feel slighted, misinformed, or out of the loop. And that's your fault. That's our fault. Like the havoc, the absolute path of destruction left behind by poor communication, by neglecting or not understanding how this works, and why it's so important is evident in what we're seeing unfold in our Navy every day. We see it on the cover of the Navy Times. We see it in our day-to-day interactions in our workplaces. We feel it in our frustrations and our displeasure with what's happening in our organizations and units. And it can make you feel hopeless and helpless. So we learn. We understand and we contribute based on that knowledge to the solution. And we do it by effectively communicating. You don't get to sit on the bench for this. You don't get to sit on the bench and be the peanut gallery and criticize everything that's going on from afar. You gotta get your hands dirty. You gotta get in the mud and help figure out a solution. And you do that by constantly learning. You do that by reading. You do that by studying. You do that by listening. You do that by doing whatever you're doing right now, uh, listening to me blabber on about this topic, right? That's how you get better. And maybe my perspective helps you get better. Maybe someone else's perspective helps you get better. But you gotta constantly be in pursuit of that betterment. Otherwise, the problem doesn't get fixed. It just festers. And there's a lot of sitting on the bench, pointing and blaming. It happens all the time, and I think we see it all the time, not just related to communication, but all kinds of leadership topics Navy-wide, right? Everybody likes to blame the bad leader, but no one wants to get their hands dirty and help that bad leader become a better leader. It's not a very popular popular task, but it's something that needs to happen, and it's something that you can affect on a daily basis. So get out there and go do it. I just want to reemphasize, if you need to get a hold of us about everything, if you want to shoot me a message and tell me how horrible my podcast is, feel free to do that. You can email us, don'tcoveuptheshippodcast at gmail.com. You can DM us on Instagram. It's a direct message for you non-social media users. Um, I'm probably the least proficient at it, so I don't know why I'm saying that. Or you can Facebook message us. Hit us up. Ask me questions, argue with me, request a topic, whatever your little heart desires. Uh, I'm happy to answer questions completely unrelated to any topic I've, I've done. I, I don't care. I'll talk through an issue with you. If you have a scenario, you're you know, going out at work and you want to ask me, you know, what if, or did I do this right or whatever, happy to have those conversations. Hit me up and I'll do my best. As always, thanks for listening and don't give up the shit. <laughs>